Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast. We have the three-man booth assembled here today to go over some breaking Messi and Barcelona-related news following that 8-2 defeat at the hands of Bayern Munich. We are also going to go over City's collapse at the hands of Lyon, and we are going to talk about the semifinals of the Champions League coming to you this week starting with the discussion about Atletico Madrid, what exactly went wrong with them against RB Leipzig, and if the Red Bull team can get past PSG and Neymar and Mbappe in the semifinals, as well as whether or not Leon can can spring a third upset in a row against potentially the best team in Europe right now, Bayern Munich. But we're going to start out with FC Barcelona. And as Caleb and I discussed in our pod taking quickly episode on Friday, there was obviously going to be some immediate fallout. We've already seen that Kike Setien has been given the sack. And there's going to be more changes to follow. There are rumors of a big board meeting uh, on Monday as we record this on Sunday. And that maybe Eric Abadal will be the next person to go. But we have learned today via Marcelo Beckler, who reported on Neymar leaving the club in the summer of 2017, that Lionel Messi might be eyeing the door this summer and looking for a way to leave the club, which he's played at his entire career. Nathan, you weren't able to join us on Friday, but I wanted to get your take on the Barca-Bayern game, the future of Barcelona, the immediate future of Barcelona, and I guess more pressingly, I never thought this day would come, but it looks like Messi might be set to leave the club. Yeah, I mean, I think I sort of hit the nail on the head um, with my prediction right in the aftermath of the Barca-Napoli game. I said, look, every player that Bayern have is at least twice as good as every player that Napoli had. I think that the writing was on the wall for Barcelona. I will say it was... A little funny for me because when I went to work on the day the day of the match, I clocked in when the score was one one after what was it seven or eight minutes, and I was like, okay, so Barca are still in this with a shout. And then I come back on my break to like seventy five texts, and uh, seeing the shocking scoreline was well shocking. There's a great piece in the New York Times by Rory Smith talking about how this is pretty much just you know the end of Barcelona. Uh, as a great team, at least for the time being. And I pretty much agree with that completely. I think that it's a calamitous defeat. And frankly, as a fan of a club who's also suffered an 8-2 defeat, I I mean, I know exactly how it feels. And Caleb, I do feel for you. Like, I do sympathize with the predicament that your club is in. On the other hand, I think that there is more pain that's going to have to come before it gets better. And I think PK hit the nail on the head as well in his post-match interview by saying that, you know, players are going to have to leave. And while we pretty much thought that Messi would not be one of those players, at least he wasn't one of the players named by Marca this morning as being for sale, uh, reports broke from Marcelo Beschler that Messi does indeed want out. I mean, who can blame him? I do think it's unfortunate that it's possible that his eventual separation from the club might be coming a year or two earlier than expected, Caleb. I'm, I'm nervous given Bechler's track record, but I think that it's unlikely still that Messi leaves the club. I think that unlike Neymar, who didn't really have a, you know, a ton of allegiance to Barcelona, it would just be a huge decision for Messi to leave. That said, 
I think we also need to recognize that if he stays at Barcelona, there's literally no way that he can win the Champions League before his career ends in the next two or three years. Both if Barcelona blow up the squad, obviously it's going to be a rebuild, or if they try to sort of maintain this current squad with the delusion that it's going to be successful as everybody turns 34. Though when I think about like, where would he go? I mean, are City really that enticing an option for him right now, given, and we'll get to it, their disastrous defeat? I don't really see where he goes exactly, other than back to Argentina. But, and I've told you some of this off the pod, but I think really what Barcelona need to do is they need to be realists about this. They need to sell off most of their old players and they need to tell Messi, you know, you've had several stages of your career, young, upstart, starlet, superstar. Then you had like heyday with Xavi and Iniesta. Then you had MSN. And now is a new stage where you're going to help the new youngsters in Alenia, in Puig, in Fati, in players like Trincao and even Pedri, you know, find their place in this team. And you're going to sort of bequeath the key to the club to the next generation. I think that's what they need to do. At the same time, I don't have any faith in the management. So we'll see. But I, 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 you know, on this point, I think it's ultimately unlikely that Messi leaves the club. I mean, I guess the question is, is the friction between the club management and Messi too much so that that conversation is never going to happen? Messi is going to continue trying to use his power to make Barcelona commit to these big moves in the transfer market and get them more players in so that they might try and reload for the Champions League next season with the same results. This is the problem when big personalities stay at clubs a little bit too long is that they cultivate a little bit too much power and their relationship with the upper management becomes fracturous to the point where maybe the player has a little bit too much power than the management or the management feels like they can't really control the wills of the player have a serious productive conversation because they're both too busy being at odds with one another. Yeah. I also think that that's made even worse when you have management that's as inept as Barcelona's. And I'm not talking about Kike Setien, I'm talking about Bartomeu. And one of the things that I think is important about um, Caleb, your proposal for what Messi could potentially do is that Barcelona will be having presidential elections in the summer of 2021. And there have already been a couple of candidates who have announced their candidacy. Joan Laporta obviously is uh, trying to become president again. He was obviously president during the Galacticos era of Madrid. He was the president of Barcelona. And the Victor, intriguing one is, yeah, Victor Font. Victor Font. Yeah, and Victor Font, who I think is what Barcelona really, really need. I think Victor Font, who's also already had talks with Xavi about taking over um, if he does indeed get elected. So it, it seems like, again, it's just one year too early for all of these decisions to be made. But the finances of Barcelona are so precarious that it's sort of forced Bartomeu's hand when it comes to making these sort of rash transfer decisions, at least in terms of like the the Arthur Pjanic uh, swap and whatnot. So I worry that if Barcelona do sort of keep these players for another year and maybe even make another big name signing or two, they're just going to be hampering any real progress that could be made, you know, in the summer of 2021. Caleb, we have to talk about managers in the immediate future there are two big names being linked to barcelona right now they are Maurizio pochettino who was out of work following his sacking last year from spurs and ronald koeman the coach of the netherlands uh koeman obviously associated 
with the club. He used to be a former player, a former great, some might say, and Pochettino, who has a relationship with Barcelona rivals Espanyol, but who's to say that he would never come in and coach one of the biggest clubs in the world. What are your thoughts about the immediate direction of this club? Who do you think takes over? And off of Nathan's point, what do you see as not necessarily progression, but what can Barcelona do next season to steer the ship in a positive way? Yeah, it's a good question. I would prefer Pochettino of the two of them, mostly because I think Pochettino is a better manager. And I think Pochettino has shown at Spurs that he can help rear some younger players like Deli Ali, like Harry Kane, and help them reach their best. And of course, as I said, I think we're entering a pretty clear rebuilding mode and we need somebody who can cultivate youth. Komen obviously has a stronger connection to the club. He was you know, a superb defensive player who scored still something like over 100 goals, like just an insane amount from center back. He scored 193 career goals from yeah. center back in 500 games. Yeah, which is nuts. Like... Coman is Coman is it was an insane player. At the same time, I think he's a worse manager. I, I think if they hired Coman, it would be more of like an interim thing. Like it'd be like a one year type. Because I don't think you can take whatever happens next year as any sort of like real indication of anything. Because I so think it'd be sort of like a Solskjaer esque appointment. Yeah, or like or just a stopgap to get us to the election. Um, but I think I would prefer once again. I think we should just go for the rebuild which involves probably selling Suarez, selling Braithwaite, selling Vidal, selling Rakitic. I'd probably sell Umtiti even because I don't think he's dependable for a full year, I think, with injury issues. But I think pretty much everyone's on the table except for Messi, De Jong, Langley, and Ter Stegen. I think pretty much everyone else can sort of view their jobs as being on the line. And then if I could bring in people, I'd bring Alenia back from his loan spell. I'd promote Puig and Fati. I would try to work in Trincao next year. I would try to bring in a young center back. I think, I'm not sure if Eric Garcia is quite good enough, but honestly, like worth giving him a chance. And then dream signings defensively would be to bring in Alex Grimaldo from Benfica, who's of course La Masia, and then Ricardo Pereira, who is the Pokemon evolution of Nelson Semedo in a lot of ways. Just kind of be okay with anything that happens. Like I would honestly, if we finish fifth with that team, whatever, as long as we're giving minutes to the young players to let them actually improve. All those players that I mentioned that are well over the age of 30, they're only going to get worse. And so we might as well capitalize on their value now and sell them for 10 or 15 and just kind of put ourselves in a better standing going forward. There's no, there's no reason to delay this process. Because once again, this team is not competitive in Europe and it's not going to get more competitive, even if we buy someone like Lautaro, which we can't because we don't have enough money. For some reason, like <laughs> now I just have in my mind, like the reason why Barcelona's transfer business has been so bad over the past three or four years is because it's uh, Bartomeu just going out into the tall grass and like running into Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, look, a wild Greetsman appeared. And then he uses like five Ultra Balls. <laughs> To like try yeah, right. and then he keeps running out of balls so he has to like go to the pokemon store and like spend however many well, the euros. problem is he doesn't understand the sunk cost fallacy <laughs> so he's like i've invested four ultra balls in this i need to keep buying more until i get it <laughs> and then he has to like <laughs> he's linked with like uh coutinho but he needs to go like get the master ball <laughs> in order to like <laughs> haggle, haggle his way from haggle him away from Klopp. 
it's not a but perfect yeah, I, metaphor, but but we'll roll with it. Um, <laughs> well, if only it could be that simple. Yeah. On to a shocking result: the final Champions League quarterfinal to be played in Lisbon between Manchester City and Leon. Leon, somewhat surprisingly, bested Juventus and Cristiano Ronaldo to get to this position. But we all thought that maybe, especially following Man City's comprehensive victory over Real Madrid, that they would certainly have enough in the tank to get to their first Champions League semifinal under Pep Guardiola. However, that was not the case. And once again, it was a situation where maybe Pep Guardiola overthought things a little bit too much. He went with a conservative three at the back, consisting of Fernandinho, a very young, very inexperienced Eric Garcia, and Imeric Laporte, who really had an uncharacteristically shocking game at the back. Caleb, Pep Guardiola, he's not won the Champions League since he's had Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, you know, that prime Barcelona team. He fails to do so again with even more resources spent on this Manchester City team. What is the state of the Man City project right now? What's the state of Pep Guardiola at Man City? And what do you think went wrong? I mean, I think that, as usual, Guardiola just totally overthought this game and then made some weird choices. Right. I still don't understand why you start Eric Garcia over John Stones or Otamendi, even if you think Eric Garcia is good, but he still also doesn't even want to be at the club. So it's weird that he didn't start his, you know, objectively, I think, better and more seasoned center backs over the youth player. I think it's weird that he went with a 3-4-3, which we don't often see Man City line up in and left a lot of talent on the bench. I mean, Bernardo Silva didn't even get off the bench at all. I think, as usual, Guardiola just doesn't actually change. Like, all three of Leon's goals were pretty much the same. All three of Leon's goals found out Ederson with, you know, bad positioning in one way or another. And so I think you look at this and you're like, damn, City has spent, like, billions of billions of dollars, and they've gotten away with it, which we've talked about before. And yet, honestly, Guardiola, in a lot of ways, ended up being the barrier to their success, I would say. I mean, obviously, we should talk about Raheem Sterling missing a point-blank goal. At the same time, there's no world in which this Man City team is actually worse than this Leon team. Like, if you go player by player, a Man City player wins out every time. And so I think this really throws the whole City project into doubt. I think it throws Guardiola's sort of career you know standing as the quote-unquote best manager in the world into doubt because the truth is it has been like a decade since he's won the champions league it has been a decade since he's been in the champions league final and he's managed you know Bayern and city in the interim yeah and i think caleb building off of that he's been so brutally exposed by not just this loss but also how arsenal basically played them off the park uh back in june in the fa cup semifinals as well I find it interesting that I think that the teams that tend to do best in the Champions League are the teams that have good players, but also the teams that have good systems. And obviously, Man City, I think, generally have both great players and a great system. Lyon have fine players, but a great system. So it seems weird to me that Pep would experiment in this type of game. I don't know why Pep wouldn't have been comfortable with a four-at-the-back system going up against uh, basically a one-man striker uh, strike force of Memphis Depay. I mean, Carl Toko Akambi was not playing as a full striker in this game. He was playing as a false number nine. Um, so again, very questionable decisions from Pep. 
I did think that there were a number of individual errors from Man City. Ederson, I thought, was pretty poor on that first goal, which, to be fair, it was a great finish from Cornet. Like, I thought that he did really well to find the, the corner from the angle that he did it. But why was Ederson caught in no man's land there? Like, that made very little sense to me. And we know Ederson has a tendency to be somewhat rash. And then, of course, Caleb, you mentioned the Sterling miss. I think that it is one of the worst misses of all time, if you throw it into context. You're talking about a, a world-class player, one of the best wingers in the world, with a chance to tie up a Champions League semifinal. I mean, it's really inexcusable. And we see tons of bad misses. I mean, Chupo Moatings was, was pretty bad as well. But <laughs> but, but, but just, just from context alone, I think that this Sterling miss has to be one of the worst misses of all time. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty of, bad. Right. And, and there's, of course, there's no way to say that, okay, you know, City get that goal and it's tied. And then, you know, Leon don't go on to win in overtime or in extra time or, or in penalties. Leon, for them, to, for them to then come back and score up the pitch just two minutes later, really put the nail in the coffin. And I think the entire weekend for the city of Manchester can be summed up by the haunted look on the face of Raheem Sterling when he realized how, just how far over the goal that missed. I mean, if we're talking about the miss itself, yes, it's bad that he missed, but also... I don't know how he missed by that much. Like, it was basically the Sergio Ramos penalty of misses, but only from three yards away. I heard Gary Lineker explain kind of why he missed it so much, and it's because if when you have that much pressure and that much time uh, to complete a chance like that, and w- or what you shouldn't end up doing is putting a lot of force onto the ball when you're trying to just kind of hit it in the back of the net. The thing that you really want to do is just kind of keep your leg out and let the ball hit your leg, and then it just kind of goes in naturally. I think what Sterling tried to do is he definitely felt the pressure of the situation and he just put his foot through it a little bit too much and then it flew into Rosette. It's a bad miss, so get me wrong, but I can certainly see where the pressure got to him a little bit. I think that's that's another thing where it's like City, in these big moments, they feel the pressure. They definitely feel the pressure and they crumble under the pressure. I and mean, we talk about Barcelona crumbling under the pressure over the past couple of years. This is a City team that is gone up against arguably weaker opposition than the opposition that Barcelona has gone up against. At least Barcelona, like they've fell to, you know, the champion. The, the, I think Bayern Munich are going to go on to win the Champions League. Liverpool obviously won the Champions League last year. But Man City, they've gone out to teams like Monaco and they've now gone out to a team like Leon, who I think, as Caleb was saying, they have far less quality. But Pep has been the roadblock for them. And I think it, it gets even deeper than that, though, because you can chalk up their successes in the league to the fact that, on average, this team of great players is going to win most games. And you can get away with winning most games and occasionally slipping up. And even in their lesser domestic cup wins, we saw how they won, what was it, 10-1 against Burton United, right? Like, the, they, these, are not, these are not great teams that they have beaten. And it's no surprise that when they do face actual opposition in these incredibly high intensity games, thinking about like their tie with Spurs last year, that they do crumble. And frankly, the second leg of the of the quarterfinals last year where they where they ended up losing is a game that I think was pretty similar to this one. You had VAR getting involved. You had you had Spurs scoring early and City just don't have the. I'm not going to say the individual quality because we know that that's there, but they don't necessarily have the mentality of ha- of knowing how to fight for victories. You can point out a few exceptions to this um, in terms of individual games. Like I think about their victory against Liverpool uh, two years ago as an example of this, but 
I, I can't remember a time in the Champions League where I've seen Man City play and thought, wow, these look like this looks like a team that I want to represent England. This looks like a team that I think could really fight against a Bayern Munich or a Barcelona on the world's biggest stage. I don't think Pep has the ability to motivate his teams because they're just so used to rolling over their lesser opponents, you know, 4-0, 5-0. What do you think about Man City in big games this season? Because just in the last couple of months alone, we've seen them lose to Arsenal. We've seen them lose to Chelsea to secure Liverpool the league. And now we've seen them lose to Lyon. I think it's a pretty consistent trend of Guardiola changing things up and then big players not taking their chances, right? Because we should admit that like Sterling had a lot of chances in the first half that he didn't put away. And in addition to like the, the terrible miss in the second half, Gabriel Jesus looked like he was just learning how to shoot the ball this game. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne was doing his best, but I don't think this like, you know, right winger attacking midfield position is his best role. I honestly Leon also think, covered him def- like incredibly well. Yeah, yeah. No, once again, I don't mean to take a... I mean, Leon had to work to win this game. I just think that, honestly, if you just had like a football manager auto set a 4-2-3-1 with Man City, they would win against Leon, right? Like every single positional move that Guardiola made was actually ended up being a detriment to the team. And that's what I mean when I say that Guardiola is the biggest barrier to the success right now. And that he only really chooses to tinker in when the most is on the line. And maybe that's to prove himself and his ability. But it always ends up failing. And so I just I think this leaves a lot of questions about him beyond the questions it has about the future of this club in terms of whether Jesus can really fill Aguero's boots, whether Sterling really has the quality to make it count in a big game. Right. I mean, this was his best goal scoring season ever. He had like 30-something goals this year. And yet, none of those matter at the end of the day. He scored 30 goals this year to win nothing other than, what, the League Cup? So this team is just disappointing. Well, you heard it here first. Pep Guardiola is a fraud. Pep Fraudiola. No, that's a joke, obviously. <laughs> you think but... all these Premier League managers are a fraud? <laughs> literally, literally, of all the teams in the top four in the Prem, <laughs> which manager don't you think is a fraud? It's just Klopp, right? You think Guardiola is a fraud? You think Lampard is a fraud? You think Jesse's not in the top four? <laughs> I'm just talking this year. Oh, no, yeah, you think right. Solskjaer no, is a fraud, is too. A fraud. I think fraud. I think Solskjaer is a fraud as yeah, well. I'm not, I'm not sold on. No, 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 no. no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not passing judgment on these. I'm just saying that Nick essentially thinks all of the managers except for Klopp in the top four of the Premier League are frauds. <laughs> you make a good point. You make a good point. And I just want that to be on the record. <laughs> no, no, obviously, I, I rate Pep Guardiola. He, he's one of the best coaches in the world, and it's just the case if he can um, not outthink himself in these big situations to progress to the final of this competition, which I think Man City desperately needs to win at this point in order to cement themselves as one of Europe's top clubs. Because as of right now, They've sunk so much money into a project that has only yielded them domestic success. And I think that's a massive issue if you're the Etihad group. City, like they want to be seen on par with Manchester United, a team that has gone out and won several Champions Leagues in their illustrious history, as much as I have to kind of vomit to say that Man United have illustrious history, but they do. And in order for Man City to be seen in the same light as United, in order for that brand to be equivalent of their neighbors, they desperately, desperately, desperately need to get their hands on European silverware in the future. And in the immediate future, I'd say. 
I think what's even more worrying too, if you're if you're looking at the Citigroup, is Pep Guardiola was supposed to be the guy, right? Like he was supposed to be their yep. long-term project. And so if it's not him, then who's it gonna be? Because what's gonna happen is if Pep decides to leave, you know, next year, two years down the line, you're gonna have a group, you're gonna basically have this Barcelona team, right? You're gonna have a group of players who are 29 to 34 years old who don't have residual value. And he will have just pumped in a billion and a half, a half like $1.5 billion into this team for them to, yes, get their hands on, you know, many, many domestic trophies. But without European success, I think it's kind of a failed venture for them in their eyes, at least. So who's going to be that guy? Because it could have been Mikel Arteta. They, I mean, I don't see them going after anyone who's currently on the market. Maybe, maybe it'll be a guy like Julian Nagelsmann, who I guess we can talk about uh, in just a few minutes. But I don't know who City would even turn to to be, you know, their next guy in that regard. That is the question. I want to spend a, a few minutes talking about a few seconds, just a short period of time talking about Leon. Caleb, we watched this game together. I think we were both really impressed in the way that Rudy Garcia set out his Leon team to shadow Man City players. He really kind of isolated Kevin De Bruyne in the first half. His back line was extremely compact in the way that they defended, extremely organized. I think he had players like Jason Denayer and Marcelo playing above their level in this game, certainly, and that system contributed to it. He also made a huge decision uh, halfway through the second half to take off their best player in Memphis Depay and bring on Musa Dembele, and he was the man who went on to score the two winning goals. Obviously, they have players like Maxwell Cornet, who I consider to be a left winger and a striker, bombing up and down the left side as a left-back, left-wing-back, and he certainly had to be solid defensively in this game against the likes of Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne. So what did you make of this Leon team? We're going to talk about their, let's be honest, their slim chances going up against Bayern Munich. <laughs> but what did you make of the team that is that is currently sitting seventh in Liga? I mean, they just took their chances. I'm not, and they did it really well. And they figured out that City had slow center backs, at least in Fernandinho and an inexperienced center back in Eric Garcia and a goalkeeper with a penchant for, you know, coming out of the box like he's Neuer and then deciding that he doesn't really want to get involved in the play. Um, and they just exposed that three times. And it worked really well. And I think they sensed that City couldn't figure out their system. And so they were like, well, we know what we're doing and we're going to stick to that. And so they relied on some moments of individual quality um, from Cornet, who sort of showed up at the right time to get a rebound and who, as Nathan mentioned, really put an exquisite ball uh, to score. And they relied on Dembele just powering his way uh, to success. So like huge credit to them. They stuck to their game plan. They recognized that City weren't going to change and they punished them. You know, they're probably not going to succeed from here on out but we definitely have to respect what they've put together um, in the knockout stages so far. I think it was it's a valuable lesson in terms of squad composition as well. We know Lyon have a great academy. I thought Hossam Awar was fantastic. <laughs> I thought he was tremendous. I thought as far as a midfielder goes who can break the press, he really, really impressed me. And I think he's going to need to be at that level or greater in order to best Bayern. But I certainly, I think you can look at all three of Leon's goals and you can see how he broke the press to orchestrate all of them. In fact, he was the one who took the shot that rebounded for Dembele's third goal. 
Well, lads, that's going to take us from the quarterfinals to the semifinals. Before we transition into talking about RB Leipzig versus PSG, it's important that we touch on how RB Leipzig got to their first Champions Cup semifinal by speaking a little bit about Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid, who I think we all were thinking if there was any team that was going to benefit from the one-legged Champions League situation, it would be Atletico Madrid. But instead, Simeone put out a really odd lineup involving Marcus Llorente partnering Diego Costa up top in a two. He got his tactic all wrong, in my opinion. And Atleti once again sink an op- a golden opportunity to get to the final of the Champions League into the bin, Caleb. Yeah, this was another great example of a manager overthinking the lineup for no reason. Marcus Llorente has kind of morphed into a second striker this year, but he's clearly just way more effective coming off the bench, not at the start of a game. Diego Costa is honestly just past it. I don't think I've seen him have one good game all year. So that was disappointing. Very unusual to see both Jao Felix and Alvaro Morata on the bench. Very unusual to see Hector Herrera selected over Partey. He kind of gave Leipzig the opportunity to grow into this game, which he should have denied them considering they're missing their talisman. And so I think he had an opportunity to go on the front foot and he decided not to and it allowed Leipzig to really show that they have quality beyond the pacey German now at Chelsea. Nathan, you're a huge fan of the Red Bull situation. PSG are going to have Neymar, obviously, put on a great show against Atalanta. And I think, more importantly, a Kylian Mbappe who is edging closer to full fitness following that ankle injury. What is your take on the way that this game is going to go? And can you see Julian Nagelsmann and RB Leipzig finding a way through this PSG team who are going to be looking to win the Champions League for the first time in their history? I mean, not only do I see a situation in which PSG uh, end up falling at the hands of the Rotenbullen, but 538 thinks it might happen as well. PSG are only 16% favorites, so 58% chance that the Parisians advance versus the 42% for Leipzig. I think Julian Nagelsmann is a master tactician. We've seen how his side has performed against Bayern Munich in the past. We've seen how he's tinkered before big matches. And yes, Leipzig are punching above their weight. And it's going to take a a complete 90 minutes, if not 120 minutes, to get past a team like PSG. But we saw how Atalanta were able to sort of weather the storm. And yes, Atalanta ended up falling somewhat tragically. But I think Leipzig have a significantly better back line. You look at Dio Upamecano, who put in a monster of a performance against Atleti. You look at guys like Lucas Klosterman, and Marcel Halstenberg, who are the starting outside backs for the German national team. This Leipzig team has quality, even if they don't have Timo Werner up top. And I think that the midfield pairing of Konrad Leimer and Kevin Kampel was surprisingly effective against Atleti. And I think that if PSG put out the lineup that who scored uh, thinks they're going to put out, which is this bizarre 4-2-2-2 featuring Icardi, Mbappe, Neymar, and Angel Di Maria, you're looking at an incredibly exposed back six of Juan Bernat, who I didn't think was terribly impressive against Atalanta, Thilo Carrer, who I thought was bad. You have a slow, slow player in Thiago Silva. And then you have an out-of-position Marquinhos partnering with Idrissa Ganagay. And I definitely could see a situation in which the midfield five of Savitzer, Olmo, Nkunku, Kampel, and Limer are able to outpossess 
PSG and if the back three, back four of Leipzig can weather the storm of, you know, Mbappe, Neymar, and Di Maria, and Icardi, of course, Leipzig are going to be able to get through this game. Not to mention that Peter Gulacsi is an incredible goalkeeper. Um, and PSG are going to be without Kaylor Navas, who is injured. And Sergio Rica is going to be making his first Champions League appearance of the year, I believe, or his first Champions League start of the year. Plenty of interesting battles going on up and around the pitch. A coach who's on the hot seat in Thomas Tuchel versus one of Europe's up-and-coming tactical masterminds. This is definitely um, going to be an incredible match, I think. Caleb, what are your thoughts on whether or not the the Red Bull product can make their biggest statement at the hands of PSG? I think PSG are going to blow them out of the water. I think Mbappe is supposed to be fit for this game. I don't think they're going to go for a 4-2-4, Nathan. I think that obviously is not going to fly. I think they'll go for a three-man midfield, which will match up you know, better than a two-man midfield. I think Neymar knows that he needs to be more clinical, and he also knows that he can be you know, just as lethal on the dribble against Leipzig as he was against Atalanta. I don't know. I think PSG also realized that this is the best chance they're going to have to make a Champions League final since the PSG project began like 10 or so years ago. I think they know how much is on the line. And I think Neymar and Mbappe in particular are very, very ready to show that PSG are, you know, a legitimate team. I mean, Mbappe had that tweet saying that how it's like an all German and French semifinal and, you know, joking that they are both farmers leagues. I mean, I don't think he really understands what the Farmers League concept means because we're not just talking about the best teams. We're talking about the quality throughout the league. And I think, you know, he himself would admit that PSG are two or three tiers above everyone else. But that aside, I think they are dialed in and they are ready. And this is Neymar's chance to show that he can be the kind of leader of a Champions League winning team and not just a prong of MSN. Leipzig, you know, got their marquee win over at Letty, but PSG are a whole different beast and they're going to get savaged by them. I don't think they're going to get savaged. I certainly think they are going to go through. I think Nagelsmann and RBL are going to make it an incredibly tough challenge for PSG to overcome. But I agree with you, Caleb, in that I've never seen Neymar this motivated to win anything ever in his soccer career, perhaps aside uh, of the World Cup for Brazil. I think a motivated Neymar and a focused Neymar is one of the most dangerous X-factors in the game. Coupled with Mbappe, who at 50% fit against Atalanta, absolutely blew them out of the water when he came onto the pitch. PSG have two of the five best players in the world who know that this is their opportunity to get their hands on that Champions League trophy. Because I think... The second best team that benefits from the one-legged tie system of this kind of revamped Champions League is PSG. They have all the quality in the world to win a game over the course of 90 minutes, or even if it's 120 minutes, we'll see. But I think RB Leipzig have a lot of sneakily, incredibly talented players. We think about Christopher Nkunku, who came from PSG. We talk about second strikers. He's been one of the most lethal second strikers, most creative second strikers in that sort of Roberto Firmino-esque situational role. I think even without Timo Werner, we saw that RBL didn't struggle to create chances against Atleti, and they are clinical when it comes to finishing. And I think Sabitzer has had an incredible season coming off the wing for them, and he's someone who can play in a myriad of positions for RB Leipzig, whether it be center attacking midfield, right wing, 
left wing. So I think PSG will have to be sturdy in their defending and sturdy in their tactics. But they already beat an incredibly tactically astute side in Atalanta. So I think they'll just have enough to overcome RB Leipzig in this game. Score predictions, guys? 3-1. PSG win, but Leipzig score first. I like that, actually. But I'm going to go 2-1. But RB Leipzig score first and Neymar and Mbappe put their hands on the wheel and drive PSG into their first ever final. And I am going to go 1-0 to Leipzig. Should we switch to the other German-French lineup between high-flying Bayern Munich and triumphant Leon? Nick, how many goals are Bayern going (laughs) to score in this game? I think they're going to score a few. However, I also think this is going to be... 10, 12, are we talking triple digits? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I don't think they're going to get to double digits like they threatened to do against Barcelona. But I think we do have a situation here where Leon they played an incredibly risky system against Man City that worked really well, in which they man-marked a lot of City's attacking threats. And it nullified them just because City were kind of not used to their own situation that they were playing in their three at the back. But I think I don't think Bayern are going to adjust their tactics to come at this Leon team. I think they're going to be ruthless in the press just as they were ruthless in the press against Chelsea and against Barcelona. This Lyon team is going to need to be extremely reliant on players like Aurar, Maxence Kakare, who is a midfielder who is certainly an incredible prospect, but this is his first season playing competitive minutes for Lyon's first team. I think he's played something like under a thousand professional minutes in his career. So he's extremely inexperienced, even though I think he's, he's a talent to watch for the future. But those two players are going to be pivotal if Leon want to break this Bayern Munich press. I just don't think that their man-marking system is going to be quite enough to handle the likes of Alfonso Davies on the wing or Thomas Muller in the Deuter position. I think there's going to be a lot of space for Bayern Munich to exploit here. I certainly think they're in danger of conceding a few to Leon due to their high line which we saw Barcelona exploit in the first 10 minutes of their game before it all went south for them. So maybe there is an opportunity for players like Akambi and Depay and Cornet to get in behind Bayern at the beginning of this game. But if Lyon can't get it done early, then I don't think they get it done at all. Yeah, and I mean, Lyon were 10-1 to underdogs against City. They're only 9-1 to underdogs against Bayern. So take that for what you will. But I do think that this Bayern A team is... Statistic. I, I think this Bayern team is just too talented to be contained by a good system. And they're in full flow. There's a there's a there's a lot of Germanness, I think, about this Bayern team. And by that I mean just, I mean I think they're just so efficient. And yeah. we've seen how Bayern in their past great Champions League teams um and the teams that have gotten close have sort of faltered because of their lack of efficiency. I think about their tie against Barcelona in 2015, where they couldn't capitalize in regular time and then ended up falling in extra time. Lyon can be incredibly pleased to have made it this far. I think it's going to be a great springboard for them in their league campaign, which starts in about a week and a half. Um, But I do not think that it's going to be particularly competitive. I see this one finishing 4-5-1 to the Germans. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the last time Bayern beat Barcelona so badly in the Champions League, they went on to win the title. And I think 
This time it's going to be no different. I think the Pavard injury has actually made them better because I think Kimmich is just as brilliant at pulling the strings from right back as he is from midfield. And by moving him to right back, it's allowed Tiago to come back in. And you just saw his quality on full display against Barcelona. So, and, and on, on the note about Awar in particular, while he had a really good game against City and he won four dribbles and was sort of, you know, a key player, his pass accuracy was still only like 65%. I don't think that Leon are going to be able to string together many passes. And as we saw when Bayern played Barcelona, if you give up possession to them in the middle of the field, they will just hit perfect balls over the top and have like five different people who can run on the end of it. So I agree. I think it's going to be four or five, one um, and not even close at all. Yeah, dude, I had my binoculars trained in on Thiago during the Barcelona match, just considering all of his links. his pretty substantial links to Liverpool. And we might see that transfer go through at the end of the Champions League campaign. But oh my God, he absolutely blew my mind. I don't think I've really seen much of Thiago since Pep Guardiola was at Bayern Munich, especially since he's been in and out of the team, depending on who's been coaching that side. But his pass completion rate, his dribbling, his through balls, his pressing, he is the complete midfielder. And I think he complements the ruthlessness and efficiency of this Bayern team so well. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I totally agree, Caleb, that I think him and Kimmich are lethal, or him and Goretzka are a lethal pair. And it's stunning to me that Bayern are considering let this guy letting this guy go. Yeah. Well, now you know why I <laughs> I've wanted him back at Barcelona for like years and why I was so disappointed to see him go. He really is when he's fit a top 10 center midfielder in the world, if not top five. He is he is that that amazing. Dude, I was like foaming at the mouth. <laughs> Caleb, we talked a little bit about this off the pod, but it's scary to think that this is a Bayern team that has already made themselves so much better for next season. Do you think there's a possibility that a Bayern team that has added Leroy Sané to their winger depth has is going to trim the fat, so to speak, this summer? that they can establish a sort of dynasty on the European stage? Maybe. I think they really live and die, though, by how long Lewandowski can stay this productive, right? Because he is into his 30s, and so, and they don't really have a backup striker, and their second top scorer in the league, at least this season, was Nabry, who only had like 11 or 12 goals. So Lewandowski still accounts for a huge proportion of their goals. They will live and die by his productivity. And I think he can keep it up for maybe one more year, which means I think they can win back-to-back Champions Leagues. I feel pretty comfortable with that, but I don't think we're going to see a Madrid like four out of five years deal with this team, unless they can bring in an amazing striker who I don't know. Obviously, they got Robert Lewandowski kind of free, but I think they do have that money in the bank to go get a big name striker if they so wish, or they can even develop someone like Fiete Arp, the young German striker that they have coming down the pipeline. I don't think he's quite at the level yet to replace Lewandowski, but we know that they can spend big money to go get players like Sané when they need to. And <laughs> or just Erling Holland. <laughs> or yeah, or even Erling Holland's to keep their trend of getting Bruce Dortmund's best players. But Leroy Sané coming in on that left-hand side in place of Perisic who is aging just a little bit, I think we're all in trouble, man. I, I, that That's absolutely frightening uh, with Hansi Flick at the helm, just continuing to 
hone this team into kind of ruthless Terminator killing machines. It's it's a scary prospect for me to think about next season. They've gone 28 games unbeaten right now. They haven't lost in 2020. It's insane. Can we get a score prediction, boys, Nathan? I think I said four or five one earlier. I think I'm still going to stick by. I'll my final score prediction is going to be four one. I'm changing my eleven to two. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go for uh, I'll go for three one Bayern Munich. Boo! No fun. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, wait, well, Nick, when are you going to eat? When are you going to eat that uh, baguette? You got to put oh, that in Jesus your Christ. Life. Yeah, I know. For context, those of you who haven't seen my Instagram or don't follow me on at, at Nick Dockovin and on Instagram, cheap plug. But um, <laughs> I, I texted our group chat saying that if Leon go through against City, I would eat an entire baguette on Instagram Live. So that might be coming down the pipeline. Uh, <laughs> if you want to see that, go follow me on Instagram. Who knows? I actually did procure a baguette today for that very purpose. So it is coming. Um, but... <laughs> that has been our show for the day we will obviously be coming back to you maybe at the end of next week with a preview of the champions league final and our recaps of the two semifinals we also might talk some europa league which we didn't get to on this podcast but big news with man united going out today and we look forward to inter versus shakhtar donetsk uh tomorrow afternoon but that has been the show i've been nick Minden. caleb rhodes nathan strauss and we will see you all next time.